and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? Whew, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing I'm doing good. This uh the documentary for this week though, tough one to swallow. Tough one to watch. That is true, but it is true crime, so you know, that's that's kind of the that's what we're going for here. That's what I know, happens sometimes but, when you're into this genre. Right. But you also when you divulge a lot of this stuff and like many of our listeners i'm sure you know a lot of true crime documentaries i watch them and then i sleep like a baby you know it's, yeah. it's out of my mind i mean i know that sounds i, I mean i'm jaded I'm, I'm not unaware to that fact i i get it that i may be too much and i take it too lightly sometimes but every now and then you have a case that snaps you back to reality uh usually involves children for me it's just it's yeah. a tough uh, tough line to cross but I do think these cases still need to be known and these stories still need to be told because not only does this story have a lot of tragedy, it also has some triumph. It has some victory. It has some people that made it out. And, um, and I think people need to hear that kind of stuff as well. Don't you think? Yeah, and it's also applicable to what's going on right now with everyone being quarantined and stuck in their homes. A lot of people have talked about online about how many people are stuck in a house with an abusive person. And uh, that's it's got to be brutal to be literally quarantined with someone who you want to get away from but you can't you know and that's kind of kind of the case with this 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 case here but also you reminded me of just with the uh the levity and the sadness that comes with some of this true crime stuff that we study i did a top 10 true crime documentary little recording for patreon a couple weeks ago just because i've been home and i've had time and i'm like yeah why not i'll throw some bonus content out there and i kind of sat down and wrote down a list of my top 10 that i've seen obviously not the top 10 true crime podcasts or true crime documentaries ever done because I haven't seen them all. But at the time, the ones that I had seen and Darren on uh, Patreon, big shout out, commented and said, this is a great list, but you left out Dear Zachary. And I left it out because I hadn't seen it yet. So I made a point to, (laughs) yeah, with all the time that I have right now, like kids go to bed and whatnot, I can stay up for a little while. And I I watched Dear Zachary and my wife got sucked into it and we both sat down. Oh my God. If you haven't seen that, I've never... We were just sitting on the couch bawling together. Like it was so, it was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but so good, so well done, just an amazing. I mean, it would probably just just after watching it, it would be in the top three for sure for me of true crime documentaries that I've seen. It's unbelievable. Wow. But I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, don't spoil it for me because if you're talking yeah. that highly of it, I, I just need to watch it. I want to go in there with a blank slate. I have no idea yeah. what Dear Zachary's about, but yeah. Um, Man. Yeah, that sounds phenomenal. Um, yeah. I also want to give a shout out to the person who suggested this week's case. Um, awesome suggestion. And that that uh, honor goes to Kimberly on Facebook. Kimberly, thank you so much for this suggestion. Um, I don't know how more people don't know about this, honestly. Uh, yeah. Well, it's actually, the documentary is very new. It was just put out this year. So yeah, I think it still true. hasn't had time to really pick up traction yet. That's true. That's true. Uh, you want to talk about the documentary? Yeah. All right. So you you asked to see, you asked me to see the monster, or you asked to see the monster. It's uh, on uh, YouTube. It's made by Real Stories. It's also on their website, Real Stories. Uh, I don't know the exact website, but just go on YouTube and type in "You asked to see the monster." Yes, uh, phenomenal documentary. Oh, dude. Uh, lots of definitely. actual audio too, which I really appreciate. A lot of nine one one call. Um, actual audio, a lot of interview with the people. Interviews that were with involved. the with the people, yeah. Interviews and, with the actual people in it, so. right? And there's audio from interviews that were taken right after the crime happened, mm-hmm. as well as today. And to hear to hear the these people tell the same stories, it's just like man, you can tell that they have lit because it's been eight years ago mm-hmm. uh, since this happened, and you can tell that they haven't forgot anything. I mean, not one detail. I don't know Actually, how you could. Been, what, like 11, it's been like 11 years. It was 09. Oh, wow. 11 years. Okay. My bad. Yeah, 11 yeah. years. Well, I mean, close, but yeah, still, it's been a decade plus since this happened, and it is re- very real for them still to this day. Oh, and you it'll could, never, yeah. yeah. Yes, very heartbreaking documentary, but but an incredible one at that. And like I said, there are some, there are a few good things that came from this documentary, which we'll talk about, or from this yeah. travesty, rather. Yeah. So let's let's dive into it then. Let's hear your intro and let's get into this thing. All right, let's do it. Gary, it's no secret why we're here. You know, I mean, we just cut to the chase. Uh, you know, we talked to your mom. I've got some people talking to her now. My concern, you know, is just trying to put it all together and find out what happened. 
know, I see parts of I see parts of the puzzle, but I don't have all the answers. And I kind of like to hear from you, kind of what took place. And I did. I was not stabbing right here. Stand where? I stabbed in the back or leg or something like okay. that. Okay. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a little better. Right. Okay. And then somehow she get this knife out of this hand and put it on her left hand. And then she come and do this. And stab me twice right here. Let me see. Okay, got bandages on. Okay. Okay. Well, how many times do you think you stabbed her? Are you talking like a couple times or a bunch of times or about 30 times you think? Okay, I put your finger on one top, one issue or one aspect or one reason why all this happened last night. What do you think that what would that be? All right, our case this week stems from the documentary we mentioned, You Asked to See the Monster by Real Stories. Um, we'll kind of start from the beginning with uh, Lovita. Uh, Lovita Montgomery had been in several failed relationships, resulting in two sons, Jerome. Uh, he goes by JT. He was 12 years old in 2009 when this story takes place, and Jarrett, who was nine years old at the time, as well as a daughter named Jasmine, who was six. Um, all children were from different fathers. She'd been in, as we mentioned, several failed relationships. Um, and in 2009, mm -hmm. Levita and her kids were living in Dallas County in a middle-class home with her new husband, uh, who she had just recently married about a month ago when this story took place. Uh, his name was Gary Green. Now, they'd been together for a little while. They'd been, I don't, it wasn't clear to me how many years that Levita and Gary Green had been dating, I'm guessing on and off. Right. Right, before they decided to get hitched. But Well, I... I think it was a pretty good time yeah. because Jarrett was in the documentary mm -hmm. and he was nine at the time, right? Yeah. And he talked about how he didn't have a father other than Gary. Yeah, the Gary other two kids. was the kids, only man in his life. His brother JT and his yeah. sister Jasmine both had their fathers in their lives. Right. Um, and one of the, Jasmine's father was interviewed throughout this thing. He seemed like a really good dude. Um, but yeah, poor Jarrett didn't, his father was never around. And so... Gary kind of became that figure for him and did a good, right. good job as far as you could tell from Jarrett's part. Um, he had a, some good like things to say about him. It seemed like everything was going good until they actually actually got married officially. Mm -hmm. Did it not seem like that to you? It seemed like everything was going okay, and then once they had tied the knot, yeah. it's like things... It's, at least that's what it seemed like it, to me. Because why would you go ahead and marry someone if if this was going on beforehand? Right. It seemed like Gary, the longer know. he was with a person, the more controlling and the more abusive he would get. Oh, yeah. Um, no doubt. So once they got more hitched... paranoid, got too. He seemed yeah. like a paranoid person, someone who spent a lot of time in their own mind. Yeah, there's more on that there later, was, on his psyche. Yeah. There's family members of his that, that thought early on, even when he was a kid, that he had mental issues. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, Levita and her and her family with her new husband, Gary, uh, they seemed pretty normal and happy to neighbors, including their next door neighbor, Latasha, who plays a kind of a key role in this case. Um, she was featured in the documentary and interviewed throughout. Um, Jarrett, the nine-year-old who had never known his biological father, said that Gary was his father figure for several years. Gary rewarded his good grades and behavior with treats and made the best PB&Js. He still... Jarrett still to this day loves PB&Js <laughs> because of the ones that Gary made for him um, over the years. Uh, right. That's funny to me because I thought, you know, you would think with what ends up happening, which we'll get to, uh, that you would maybe hate PB&Js like because of the, what this man ends up doing, you know, like, like I would well, never want a another testimony one because it's going to remind you. That's a testimony to, to how good the sandwiches were. How, how, I mean, what could he be doing? Just, I mean, the ratio of peanut butter to jelly? I don't understand like, what makes it so dude, amazing. <laughs> dude, it's important. It's also important about the, the type of bread you make, that's the true. way you cut it. You know, that's don't true. cut it in rectangles like an animal. Oh, cut God, that's just disgusting. Who does that? I know. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's. I mean, you cut it in triangles. It's easier to eat. It's just... 
I, I, you know I'm, what I mean? I mean, unless you're a child, when you make a PB&J, you're not, I'm not cutting it. I'm just biting into it. You got to get a little crust with each bite. You know what I mean? It's like a pizza. Yeah. Well, my, what my kids like to do now is I, I trick them into thinking I'm making them more food. What I do is I cut it into triangles, right? And then I stack the triangles on top of each other. I'm like, here's a double decker. And they're like, what? And they like to eat it like that. So they eat it, you know, just like a giant thick triangle sandwich. And they think they're getting more food. And they're like, oh, I'm so full after that double decker, Dad. I'm like, I know. Nice. Yeah, a lot See, I think there's more art to making a grilled <laughs> cheese than there is to a PB&J, though. Like a PB&J, like, yeah, you got to get the ratio right. Don't get me wrong. Don't be skimping yeah, on the jelly yeah. or the peanut butter, right. really. You got to do a lot or of both. That's the key. But with a, with a grilled <laughs> cheese, <laughs> with a grilled cheese, okay. it's really like an art form to that. Like how well it's toasted, the amount of cheese, the, the amount of butter. Um, and Dude. even if you want to get crazy and add some garlic powder, things like that. You can get oh, real crazy yes. or some bacon to it. You can get nuts. Dude, you know? let me tell you a little secret. Instead of frying it up with butter, fry it up with mayonnaise on the outside <gasps> instead. Do, do you it. not know me? It, those of you it that don't know life. me as a listener, that well, condiments are my enemy aside from barbecue sauce. I don't eat bar- I don't eat ketchup. I don't eat I mustard. I don't eat Listen, mayonnaise. I don't eat relish. Dude, get away from me with all that bullshit. Listen, I would make it for you, and you wouldn't even know there's mayonnaise on it. You wouldn't even know because it fries <laughs> up just like an oil know. and it crisps. Yeah, I'd slap you, silly nah. boy. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna ship it all the way out there. Yeah. You're gonna like it. Yeah, my wife, if she has something with mustard on it, she doesn't get kissed the rest of the day. Wow. Yep. It's harsh, dude. Yep. Anyways, I, I I knew you were a condiment hater, though. I know. Yeah. Back to the story. <laughs> Already going off on tangents. Right here. Are you gonna bring up PB and J's? How are you not gonna go on a tangent? It's just it's right made right. for that. I know. Yeah, so so Jared, uh, he had fond memories of Gary as a father figure to him. You know, obviously his siblings had father figures, so this was his. Um, however, things weren't all good in the home of Levita and Gary Green. Gary, uh, as we mentioned, had the tendency to become more controlling and abusive the longer he was with someone. He had an interesting past of violence. One woman who dated him in high school later said that Gary had stabbed and choked her. Another said that he had choked her and hit her while she was pregnant with his child. A woman named Jennifer Wheeler said that after she broke up with him, uh, when she graduated from high school, he stabbed her in the chest. That attack took place in August of 1989, a few months after they broke up. So months after they had broken up, after graduating from high school, he was Oof. still that, I guess, obsessed with her, you could say, or yeah, power hungry. He was still that, stewing on that. Yeah, that he actually, um, the way she said this went down was that Green asked her for a ride one morning forced her into the passenger seat of her vehicle and drove to a park there. He, she said that he began choking her with shoelaces. Um, yeah. So the, that's the, that's the one where there was actually footage of like pictures and stuff in the documentary of how he, the, it's amazing. She survived. Let's just put it that way. This looked like almost still images of a murder victim who was strangled to death. Like the way her, her eyes were pure red, the shoelace, uh, yeah. ligature marks around her neck were so deep and it, it, he was trying to kill her. And He was absolutely trying to kill her. He was trying to kill obvious. her. And she said that uh, she was certain that she was going to die, but in a bid to save her own life, she told Green, I love you. She then lost consciousness and awoke in a hospital. She had been stabbed between the breasts, was missing a tooth and had deep marks on her neck from the shoelaces and was black and blue. And as we mentioned, the whites of her eyes were red from broken blood vessels. So that yes. I love you to a power hungry egomaniac douchebag violent abusive scumbag like this was enough to we've seen that before with serial killers too where it's like yep. if you kind of play Sometimes to their ego to a little bit ego. yep it can save your life um and she said she believed that professing her love saved her life and that green was the one who drove her to the hospital um, Green ended up pleading guilty to aggravated assault for attacking Wheeler. He also had an aggravated robbery conviction for uh, robbing a grocery store after he was fired. So he had a tendency to hold a grudge when relationships went badly. Even in a job that fired him, he went back and robbed the place. Right. Yeah, he, he's the type of person that never did anything wrong in his own mind. Yeah. And the more he thought about it, the more he was getting shitted on. It's kind of amazing you know, to me that, that we we start these relationships with people, with strangers or like even if it's not a, really a relationship but we have these interactions with strangers mm-hmm. and we don't know anything about them. You know like it just kind of struck me. I listened to a Sword and Scale episode recently where uh it involved the these guys, these douchebags that and that went to responded to a Craigslist ad to buy a truck 
and okay. they showed up to buy the truck. Well, not to buy it, but they were going to, they had this master plan in mind. But anyways, the guy selling the truck just thought, okay, these, this guy's coming to look at my truck. I'll take him for a test drive. This guy and his buddy show up and they go, they, they jump in the truck with the guy selling the truck and his wife's in the driveway. She got a weird vibe from him. Um, and she watched him drive away and they ended up killing the guy and taking the truck. You know what I mean? Like we have these Holy interactions with people that we don't know and we let them into our lives. And maybe, you know, it's just, it's crazy because there's guys like Gary Green out there where you don't know what they're capable of, what what's going on in their head, you know, and you bring these people into your life. Just be careful when you meet strangers or like even when you're like, a, you own a business and you're hiring someone, like they could, yeah. if it goes badly, say they're a terrible employee and you fire them, this is the kind of stuff they can have. They can come back and rob you, kill you, whatever. So yeah, I don't. I don't think many people listening to this podcast have that problem. I think we have a very paranoid fan base. Yeah, that's the, you, you know what? See, True Crime <laughs> is not only entertaining, but as we've mentioned many times, it can save you from some some trouble. It can just by being man, paranoid it, a little bit. Like a good level of paranoia is good, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it can drive you insane. It absolutely can drive you insane, and that and it can rob you mm-hmm. uh, of your life and your happiness. But at the same time. I think, like you said, a healthy level of paranoia mm-hmm. can absolutely save your life. Just be over prepared. And over again. You know, if you're if you're selling something on Craigslist, do it in a public place and, and be armed. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or just do it in a pu- sure. very public place and don't go on test drives with people you just met. You know, don't let them in your vehicle and drive off with them because, yeah, it was kind of weird. Kind of yeah. creeped me out because I've sold, I've had so many interactions with strangers through Craigslist and all that stuff, face, Facebook Marketplace, whatever it be. You know, and it could have happened yeah. at any time. You know, and I've met some sketchy people buying a cell phone, some, uh, selling a cell phone to them, buying a cell phone. Like it's little, it's those little th- things like that that are more dangerous. Yeah, me too, man. I know what you mean. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Gary uh, later married a prison guard who quit her job because she fell in love with him. So he had a way about him. He had some kind of. She said that it was his presence that that actually caught her as a prison guard while he was an inmate. He wooed her enough to end up quitting her job and getting married to him. Um, they married after he was paroled in 2000 and lived at his mother's house in Dallas County, but he soon stopped staying there and returned to East Texas. When asked why she fell in love with a prisoner, Lacey replied, quote, I like the way he carried himself as a person. She later said he was respectful. So he had, uh, and you know what? He's interviewed in the documentary, right? He's behind bars, obviously, and we'll get to why. Um, but he did, he was very mild mannered. Um, very quiet, uh, unassuming, but a large man too. So I think he fits that tall, quiet type that some women are really in, intrigued by, I think, but sometimes I think so. they're quiet for a reason because they're evil. <laughs> yeah. And on, well, yeah. And on the outside, he seems to, uh, bestow this type of confidence, Yeah, but obviously it's not, it's not, it doesn't go very deep because someone who is you know, confident and sure about who they are as a person doesn't hold, in my opinion, doesn't hold grudges against people who who don't want to be with them or or people that have wronged them for very exactly. long. Exactly. Like, yeah, you, know you just I mean? move on because like, well, if they don't like me for who I am, then that's what it is. But yeah, he could that's not, he could not do that. And no. uh, we said a large man, he, he was six foot three, 365 pounds. So could have played guard in the NFL, like that level of massiveness. No doubt. Um, another woman, uh, Shalonda Ransom, uh, who had two children with Green, testified that Green had hit her once and choked her unconscious while she was pregnant. They met while they both worked at Walmart. Ransom said that she learned that while Green uh, was with her, he also got another woman pregnant. So this guy, for someone who is so jealous in a relationship, was off with several other women at any given time, getting other women pregnant. Um... She left the house after she gained consciousness. When she came home, Green had left and taken everything out of the house, furniture, clothes, diapers. Quote, he didn't leave a spoon, she said. I remember that day feeling like I wasn't anything to him. Um, so, yeah, this is wow. the, the background of this guy that, uh, that LaVita has led into her life and let around her children um, and has chose to marry, but she immediately started to regret marrying him as I think it progressed, you know, his violence and his controlling behavior and his paranoia in regards to, you know, her talking to other men or whatever started to progress. Um, And also he was no stranger to, he was not shy about doling out whoopings to Levita's children, um, her boys mainly, not so much um, uh, the daughter, 
Jasmine, but to the two boys, mm-hmm. he was doling out punishments pretty regularly, and they were interviewed in the documentary and talked a little bit about the whoopings, how violent they could be. They said that right. he would use a belt and he would swing wildly, hitting whatever. It wasn't just aimed at you know like their buttocks. It would if it happened to hit him in the face, then it hit him in the face, and he didn't care. Um, right. Uh, yeah. The neighbor Latasha, I think I, I liked her in the documentary, but at the same time, you're like, at what point? Should you have maybe notified authorities about the abusive behavior going on next door with these children that you're well, friends with, you know? And I think that's why Latasha, you, you notice that in the documentary. She has like this cloud of guilt over mm-hmm. her on every interview. And she talks about, oh, I, I wish there was something I could have done. I feel like there was something I could have done. I don't think she's talking about necessarily that day. Right. I think she's just talking about overall, yeah. in general. I saw this man... Every day, he lived right next door to me. I, I saw these kids and and the accusations that they were claiming. But you know, I mean, but to her defense, kids can exaggerate. Kids can be kids dramatic, can be crazy sure. sometimes. But yeah, she did they, see markings, as she admitted. You know, um, at, yeah. So at one point, she was talking about how young Jared had come over to her house and said that Gary had broken his arm, um, and mm-hmm. that was maybe a moment of dr- dr- dramatization by by Jared because his arm wasn't broken. It was working fine. And that's when she's right. like, what are you talking about? Your arm's fine. Stop being dramatic. But she also recalled seeing marks on the boys on several occasions. And she even knew, she knew, she must have heard things and seen things. And she said that she knew that Gary was, quote, extra mean with them and Lovita. Not so much Jasmine, who was only a six-year-old little girl, but um, he. she even said that she thought that uh, Levita was being treated by Gary as if she was one of the children herself. Like he was acting, as, like treating her like that. Like he needs, she needs to follow his rules and whatnot, that level of control. Yeah, he demanded respect from everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he absolutely did. And so shortly after the wedding, Levita realized that she had made a mistake and she decided she wanted to uh, uh, annul their fresh, still fresh marriage. That's even more uh, kind of insulting than just wanting a divorce was from something. It's like, I want to pretend this thing never even happened. <laughs> like an annulment is like, I see what you're saying. If you it's, think especially like if it's not mutual, him to that? it's one thing if yeah. both of you are like, you know what, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Like we, maybe we got drunk in Vegas and got married. Let's annul this thing. Right. But like when one person wants to split up and the other person is still in love and then, you know, the one's asking for an annulment, that is, I could see how that would kind of, yeah, a month later. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Ray, Jasmine's father, who we mentioned was interviewed through this thing, uh, recalls dropping off his daughter on Sunday, September 21st, 2009. He said that uh, it was normal for her to not really want to go back to her mom's house because she was a daddy's girl and stuff. But she said in mm-hmm. this, he said on this occasion, she really, they, they were sitting in front of the house and she really didn't want to go. And he, you know, he said something was off, but especially his wife, Ray's wife yeah. um, said that she really felt weird. Something was going to happen. Um, they had a bad feeling, uh, but nonetheless, and that's strange when when the st- when the stepmom even can tell and yeah. can feel it within a child and within a situation. It's like that. That's what really that really kind of grabbed onto me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I have people in my family who are you know co-parenting and things like that, and it's like they're almost like, well, whatever happens over there, that's that's what happens over there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, especially if they're not the biological parent, mm-hmm. if they if they're the step parent or whatever, they're to me they don't show as much concern about the the other their significant other. Yeah, a lot of times they're like, oh, you're, they're, she's fine. You're being paranoid, whatever. Exactly, exactly. But even she was was brought to alarm by the situation. She felt like something wasn't right. Yeah, things were coming to a head in the household, um, as we mentioned. Uh, Lavita had decided she was going to split this up and she was planning on telling Gary that next morning after Jasmine was dropped off on the 21st, that Monday, uh, the morning of Monday, September 21st, 2009, Latasha remembers, so Latasha is the neighbor. She remembers Lavita. she's directly next door. She remembers Lavita walking over and borrowing a cigarette that morning and telling her that today was the day. Girl, today's the day. I'm going to free myself. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she started talking about how you know controlling Gary was and that it was time she made a mistake and it was time to basically break free from him. And she w- she had written this letter she was going to give to him and split up and uh, go her own way. Um, yep. So she ended up breaking the news to Gary with a handwritten letter that morning asking him to move out in it. She said, quote, I know you love me and I love you, but it's time we part. Um, safe to say Gary mm. felt betrayed from this and it's hard to tell, but at some point in that day, he started writing his own letter. 
Um, Gary did leave the house briefly as she had asked him to do, but was in a weird twist of fate, was asked to return by Lovita after Jarrett got in trouble. The nine-year-old son got in trouble at school and was suspended and sent home. So now Lovita being at work needed someone to be there for the nine-year-old who now had to be at home. So she asked Gary, not having anyone else to watch him on a, a moment's notice. Um, so, right. so then Gary's back at the house again. Um, Gary found another letter from LaVita in which she voiced regrets at allowing him back into her life. So you can tell they had a history of being on and off in relate, you know, I think it was probably one of those kind of oil and water, fire and gasoline type of relationships where it was passionate, right. you know, in good and bad ways. Well, I think they depended on each other in a lot of ways yeah. at this point, and she she kind of needed him. I mean, she did have three young children at mm-hmm. the house to raise. Yeah, I mean, she 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 did kind of need him, and then he needed her. And they both for, had for and, I think his ego and his confidence. Yeah, and they both had history of so many different relationships. They're getting to the point where their options are more limited. You know, she's got three children. He's has, has who knows how many. He's impregnated several women in the past. Um, mm-hmm. so they both have baggage, you know, so it's, I feel, I think right. like their options are limited and maybe that's why they were together. Uh, Possibly a little bit. Um, yeah. so by that evening, JT and Jarrett were at church as usual. Um, so I, am guessing Gary must've taken or, or, uh, Levita got off work and took Jarrett and picked up JT from school and took them to church. Um, mm-hmm. and this was usual for them on Monday nights. Um, However, upon its conclusion, something very unusual happened. Gary was waiting for them at church to pick them up rather than their mother. And this that was, never happened. Never. Never once had it happened. Never. Yeah. And even more strange, he was smiling, which they had never seen him smile. And to add to the weirdness, he was also dressed in all black. So they're very concerned. They're very thrown off. And he's just acting abnormal on the drive home. He's asking them how their day was. He never did any of this. He was very stone-faced and stoic all the time. Right. And was kind of just an asshole, <laughs> you know? And so all of a sudden, yeah. he's being friendly and whatnot. He's dressed in all black. He's picking them up. They don't know where their mother is. She was always there to pick them up with their sister, Jasmine. And where's mom? Where's Jasmine? And he, I'm sure he's giving them some bullshit excuses. Um, so they ride back to the house with Gary. Um, and the strange behavior continued a little bit more as they arrived at the home. He basically stood in front of the door. They entered the garage and he was standing by the door to the garage, keeping them in the garage. And he was on the phone acting as though he was in a conversation with their mother, uh, Levita. Um, and so they, they kind of took it as that, like he was on the phone with her and who knows where she is. Uh, Right. And it's also important to note that at this time, Latasha was outside. Yeah, the neighbor pulled was, up she was, as well. Yes. She pulled up at the same time and was actually going to say hey to Gary mm-hmm. or speak to him, but she saw he was on the phone, supposedly, quote unquote, mm-hmm. on the phone, and uh, decided not to interact, which most people do. I mean, if somebody's on the phone, you, you, yeah. you just don't. You just don't right. interrupt them. And I know, I know that's a popular ploy that people use to not talk to people, but either way, you never know, and it's not worth, it's not worth being rude over it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So uh, you can't. I know she blamed herself later on for not saying anything to Gary at, at this exact point, but anyone in that situation would have done the same thing. Right, and she even said she thought he was clever because she she got out of the car and realized it smelled like rain. And so she, th- yeah. I guess she thought he was going to be pulling the car in the garage or well, I don't know, because the car was parked in, in the driveway, not in the garage. So I don't know what she thought was so smart about him standing in the garage when it was going to rain. I don't know. Right. Um, it just, she was just, I think she was just saying it reminded her like, yeah, maybe I should pull the car in the garage. I think she was just basically rationalizing how easy every, or how normal everything seemed, how she had no idea what was coming 20 minutes later. Right. You know, cause she said right. from the moment no she pulled up have. and saw him standing in the garage on the phone, she went inside, started having dinner and 20 minutes later, uh, she was introduced to the chaos that had ensued much right after she walked in that door. Right. Um, so, so the, she, he's standing in the garage on, supposedly on the phone with their mother and he hangs up the phone and says, uh, tells the boys, uh, told JT to go take a shower and instructed Jared to put on his pajamas for bed. At what point Jared said that he put on his favorite Garfield shirt. Um, he's awesome. I like, I, I really like these boys. Dude, like when you, how, how like likable were they? They were so, I, I thought about that the whole time. I was just like, I just want to give these dudes a hug, right. man. This 
hearing him tell the story even to this day, mm-hmm. like I, I can just relate to him so much. Actually, the there was a picture of JT sitting on his bed. Um, is when he was younger. He was probably, and I'm I'm a few years older than JT, I guess, like yeah. nine, ten years. But uh, we had the same uh, uh, Power Rangers bedspread. <laughs> like he had this, he had this Power Rangers comforter and pillow, and I was like, oh my god, I had that same bedspread. <laughs> like right. it just, I don't know, it just it just puts it into context, you know, so much. It just made them. It, just that documentary makes you really relate to them and feel for them yeah. in this situation. And I mean, you, I'm glad they're alive, but at the same time, the baggage that they have to carry through life. Yeah. Mm, unimaginable. Yeah. So, so Gary, as we said, told JT to take a shower, instructed Jarrett to put on his pajamas. Um, Gary is then in the kitchen and calls to Jarrett uh, into the, to come into the kitchen to discuss the issues that he was having in school. So we'd mentioned how Jarrett had been suspended that day. So this seems fairly normal, you know, like your your father figure calls you into the kitchen to talk about what happened, you know, what's going on, why are you having these issues. However, as Jarrett was explaining the problems, Gary grabbed a knife um, from the kitchen, uh, the block in the kitchen, um, and s- s- grabbed him from behind, grabbed Jarrett from behind, and they slid down the counter onto the floor um, where he began trying to slash at Jarrett's throat. But uh, Jared said that he may have been Gary may have been using the wrong side of the knife, using the black the back side of it. It, it's, it mm-hmm. makes you think maybe he Gary a lot of adrenaline going and making silly weird mistakes. You know where it's like he's got this nine year old boy isolated in the kitchen. The older brother is in the bathroom, doesn't know what's going on, and he had his mouth over Jared or his hand over Jared's mouth as well trying mm-hmm. to keep this quiet, but he's trying to slash at him, but he's got the wrong side of the blade. He then reaches for another knife, um, which breaks somehow. Like, I mean, I guess it's a cheap steak knife set, I'm sure. It's like probably something they got gifted or yeah. whatever. I saw the, yeah, in the crime scene photos and stuff, you see the knives. Yeah, it's they're like, very thank cheap. God, that's the only knives they had. Seriously, and it's also, I mean... Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not one of the goal. I'm not all about gun control and whatnot. I like ha- being able to have guns to defend myself and stuff. But this is a notch in the side of the people that are for gun control. And I, I yes, and I'm. It is. I'm the type of person. Whatever people want, whatever their stances and whatnot. I'm totally respect your opinions and whatnot. And this is a notch for those that are for gun control because if Gary had a gun on this day, everyone involved in this, there would be That's no right. interviewing Jared. There would be no interviewing JT because they would be dead right now. That's exactly 100%. right. His intent was to kill this family. Um, no doubt. And the only reason dude, he did is risk. because it was too hard. Yes. And and yeah, it's too much work with knives. Yep. And it's just, no matter what side of the argument you're on, like you said, man, you're taking a risk either way. And that's why I can totally, I don't argue with anyone about gun control. Yeah. If you believe there shouldn't be any guns in your house, then yes, fine. That's, that's great. And at the same time, if you think you should have some guns for protection... Yeah, I also believe that because I do believe if someone's coming into my house, they're going to have something right. to, to hurt me at the same time. But either way, either way, it's a risk. I mean, there is no there is no end-all solution right. to, to gun safety. It's right. just not there. So he's now tried to, to kill or stab or slash Jarrett twice with two different knives, one of them breaking, the other one not working. And by now, Jarrett has been able to pull down on Gary's hand and get his mouth available to yell out to his brother, JT, JT, help, he's trying to kill me. JT, here's... Jarrett was a fighter, man. Yeah, yeah, Jarrett... Dude, that kid had heart. Yeah. To be nine years old, he was a fighter. Fighting a guy that's 365 pounds. Seriously, that just goes to show, always fight. Yeah. We talked about it a million times, even if you're nine years old, man. Yeah. This is, this is insane. JT was a fighter, too. Um, they yes, were, they were, two, they were, yes, these two were kind of a pain in the ass for this man to handle. And that's why they're alive today. Um, that's right. So Gary, then knowing that Jarrett was now privy to the fact that, uh, his brother was being harmed in the kitchen. He tried to control the situation by dragging Jarrett toward the bathroom where JT was still inside. He drugged mm-hmm. the, he, now he has them trapped in the bathroom. He, he closes the door behind him. He's got both brothers in there. Um, he stood in the bathroom um, holding Jarrett by his collar, uh, he threw Jarrett into the bathroom with JT, um, and so they and they start having this this weird conversation. He sat on the bathroom counter with three knives beside him, being Gary, and asked the two boys why he should not kill them. And they are now pleading for their lives, saying we're young, uh, we're too young to die, and they wouldn't tell anyone what would hap- what had happened anyway. Um, 
Gary was not satisfied. He then stabbed JT, uh, or no, he stabbed Jarrett in the stomach. Yes. With one of the knives um, and tried to, uh, at this point, JT, being very brave, tried to push Gary off of his brother, trying to protect his brother. Um, but he missed, you know, missed or just it's like hitting a wall, you know, when you're 12 years old and you're hitting a full grown man of 365 pounds. Yeah. Um, it did. That's a lot of weight to move. Yeah. It did. It did nothing, but maybe it sent a message because it kind of, it seems like when Gary was fought back against, he it, it gave him pause, almost like how dare you even think you could fight back. But it it gave him pause because we find out later that uh, Levita had fought back, and it, it it kind of paused him for a moment as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, Gary then told the boys he was not going to kill them, and told JT to get dressed because he had something to show them. Um, as they were about to leave the bathroom, however, Gary suddenly put the knife up to Jarrett's throat and tried to, quote, screw it in, according to the boys. But Jarrett ducked away and back towards the toilet. Gary paused again and said, all right, then, come on. So it's just... Dude, it's so fucking, fucking weird, weird right? this whole situation. God, right? I guess I won't like, kill you then. I just tried to oh. screw a knife in your throat, but I guess I, you know... Oh, God. You fought back, so it's I'm okay. Just- Dude, I just at that point, as soon as I'm out of the bathroom, I'm out that fucking house. Right. The the, right? the nonchalant attitude towards oh this God. level of violence is just disturbing. And it tells you that there's no way this man could ever walk the streets again because it's just a matter of time before you hurt someone again. Dude, it also you know, tells there's you no doubt in my mind he would he would kill again or or attempt to if he got out of prison. It also tells you a little bit about the kind of violence that he demonstrated in the house. On a normal yeah. basis. Oh, like, no I know doubt. these boys were in shock and stuff, but for them to handle it this well, mm-hmm. there had been some other close calls. The fact that opinion. they then did kind of just, like, follow him into the bedroom. Like, all right, then, come on. He just tried to screw and, like, stab a knife into your spine. And then he's like, all right, then, come on, just follow me. They could have ran the opposite way out, out the front door, but they then followed him into the bedroom where they were then going to be trapped in another room with him. You know I, mean? I know. You know what I mean? It's like that's a, a that gives you like what you just said some more cloud. It's like the level of violence they were probably used to from him, and maybe other men that Levita had led into their lives. I don't know, but that they were like, okay, he's probably you know okay now. Let's follow him. Like they were just used to it, I guess. Yeah, um, and this is where it gets away. extremely dark, guys. If you're <laughs> if you're have issues with uh, violence to children and whatnot, this is your time to, to tap out on this episode because he then led the boys into their mother's bedroom where she laid on the floor covered in blood. Um, she was dead. When they saw their mother's body, they fell on their knees crying, um, hugging their mother. Um, Gary explained to JT and Jarrett that he had to kill their mother because she wanted to, to divorce him and he, quote, loved her to death and did not want her to leave him. And this is, we talked a little bit about this mindset in last week's episode about Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Um, about those type of men out that are out there where they're possessive, and if they can't have you, no one can. And that was this guy's mindset. He couldn't stand the idea just, of her going and being with some other man other than him. It wasn't – I think it was less right. about him being hurt and not being with her anymore and more about just his ego, and he could not stand, like I said, the idea of her being with someone else. It was a power right. thing. And how the casual way he talked about it. Yeah. In the interviews, even in the interviews – you know, early on when he was first captured, it's just the casual way he talked about these scenarios. It's mm-hmm. just so creepy, man. He just, he totally has it rationalized in his brain. And those are the scariest monsters out there, man. Yeah. The people that have no, they have no, like, they ha- they don't have that moral compass. They don't have that, maybe I shouldn't do it. It's like, no, this is the conclusion I came to. I said I was going to And the way he death. talked about it, too. I'm going to love her to death. The way he talked about it when he was interviewed uh, from Death Row, spoiler, um, he was interviewed in the in the uh, documentary, and he t- he kind of talked about. It and he's like, and there were some like little clues in there that you could tell he didn't regret what he did, uh, and he nope. would do it again. He he said something at one point where he was like, uh, you know, it, when you do something wrong according to the law, like not that I felt that it was wrong, but like according to the law, you have to really think about it. And it was like, what did you just say? Like, so okay, so you're totally justifying still what you did. Yeah, uh, he would do it again. I have no doubt. I think he would make yeah. sure he did it right this time and acquire a gun or make sure that he killed the whole family. But And his his goal was to kill himself as well. Yeah. Let's not forget that. He At least that's what he said. Yeah. At least that's what he said. If you wanted to kill yourself, why didn't you kill yourself during the time you were running? But whatever. He tried. He did try, but in a, you know, kind of a half-assed way. 
Yeah. Um, which we'll get to. But yeah, so after finding their mother dead on the floor in the bedroom, they had another horrible discovery to find is that their sister was in the bathroom. Um, she was, as we mentioned, only uh, nine years old, wait, six years old. Um, yes. And she was lying on her side by the bathtub, um, bound with duct tape and electrical cord from appliance. Um, and she would, we would later find out she had been drowned in the bathtub by him. Um, mm. Gary then changed clothes. He actually had the boys help him get dressed. He said, he, I think he told either Jared or JT to go get clothes out of the closet for him. Um, and he handed him some pills that were on the dresser, and that was what he was going to use to try and off himself were these pills. Um, right. He then threw a cell phone on the bed and instructed the boys to call 911 after he had left. JT recalled that Gary said he was trying, to, he was going off to kill himself, um, and he made the boys give him a hug before he left. Can you imagine? Jesus. Uh, and you, JT, to this day, he has a hatred for this man. He said that he will, he would love to attend his uh, his execution and watch him die. Um, and dude, he's not it, let it go. It's, uh, I know. God, it's such a such a twisted person. And the way that he played on Jarrett. And the mm -hmm. way Jarrett felt about yeah. him, it's like gave him this hug. And then he also, he would always tell the boys, you know, don't say goodbye. You only say goodbye yeah. when you're not going to see someone again. And he told them that. He, he reminded them of that. He said, remember when I told you all never to say goodbye? This He's is like, the time. This is goodbye. Yep. And yeah, it's like, and you it, just. It's so interesting to see the way that the two brothers, the, the differences and how they feel about it. Because Jarrett still has some love for this man. Because it was his only I father figure, does. you know. Yeah. He feels betrayed, mm -hmm. but I think he still has some love and some compassion for him. He's like, well, he didn't kill me, and if he really wanted to kill me, he had every opportunity. Yeah. Um, in the court, he know. actually had the chance to address Gary, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you that quote in a few minutes. Um, but after Gary fled the house, the boys called 911 and ran to the home of their neighbor, Latasha, who we've talked about on several occasions. She gets the shocking discovery of her door being pounded on she runs down who the hell is this and it's uh jt holding Jarrett uh, because Jarrett had as we mentioned had been stabbed in the stomach they didn't know how severe he was bleeding a lot Jarrett was actually on the phone because jt when they called 911 was too distraught to even speak to the 911 operator and she actually requested yeah. someone else to be put on the phone so she could understand what was going on Right. There's a lot of criticism of this 911 operator as well. If you look into the comments on the YouTube of the documentary, a lot of uh -huh. people criticize because they played the audio and she, she's sitting there going, is this an emergency? Do you need medical assistance? Do you need police? And after she's asking this, after Jarrett had said, we've been stabbed, like it's pretty clear. Like they're, they're frantically yeah. screaming into the, into the, uh, phone and right, saying we've but, been stabbed. It's pretty clear you need medical. <laughs> well, I think though, to her defense, she's saying, do you need, like, did someone stab you or yeah. did you, was it an accident? Did mm -hmm. I mean, there's been plenty oh, of yeah, people who slip that. and fall on a knife, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And therefore you have been stabbed, Right. but you do not need police. You That's need true. a paramedic. Very true. But either way, who calls 911 and don't send both? I feel like both show up right. almost every time. Right, it's uh, a tough job, I'm I sure, mean, being a 911 operator. They um, they get a lot of bogus calls. Um, they do, and so yeah. and you get a lot of calls where you have no idea what the person you're, you're trying to understand what they're saying, and they're just frantic. And some people, right. as we mentioned, and, are dramatic, and sometimes it's legit. So it's and you talk about being jaded to uh, tragedy. I mean, yeah, no doubt. Jesus, 911 call people. I, that's one job I would never want. Right. Just to hear those types of things over and over and over and over again. You wonder mm -hmm. why they're, they're so calm and so like, okay, tell me where your address right. is. Tell me, where are you doing? Are, are you have a knife in you? Okay. Uh, you know, because it's just another day at the desk for them yeah. and it's only human nature to get to used become, to things. Yeah, to become jaded yeah. to it. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned briefly before about witnessing uh, showing up right after there was a shootout and a guy was laying in the street having been shot and the paramedics showed up and they were just kind of casually walking over to the guy and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like yeah. in the movies, you picture like they're sprinting up and like get the guy, like we're gonna save his life and they were just kind of like chatting and like casually walking over to him. Maybe that's normal. Maybe that was like a one-off circumstance. I know the guy that had been shot was also shooting. It was like a gang type of thing. So maybe they got word that you know, this guy was a criminal and he was involved in a shootout, could have got on the people killed. Maybe they just took, you know, put a little less stock into his life because of the circumstances. I don't know, but it was, it was kind of shocking to see the casual nature of them strolling up to him and he ended up dying. I read in the newspaper. So it was like very odd, but like you yeah. said, you can get used to seeing that kind of thing on a regular basis, which is kind of scary. 
Yes. It can just absolutely. become another day and you're around people who are in the worst moment of their life, you know? Yeah. But in actuality, those are the types of people you want to deal with. You don't want people who yeah, are in shock true. and and are traumatized by everything. You want people with level heads thinking yep. calmly and people that have been there and done that's this a side before. effect. Right. And unfortunately that's a side effect is becoming a little jaded to mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's just what comes with the territory. Yeah. Um, so, uh, when the police responded, uh, after the, after they had gone next door to Levita, they, she obviously kept them in their, in her home safe. Um, and Levita went over next door while she was on the phone with police and kind of walked you around mean the Latasha. house. Latasha did. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Latasha. Yeah. Uh, Latasha, the Levita neighbor the walked over mother. to Levita's yeah. home and was walking through it, uh, while on the phone with the 911 operator actually discovered Levita laying on the floor in her bedroom surrounded by blood. Yeah. She didn't go beyond that. She then ran out of the house pretty much just in shock and never discovered. And it's probably a good thing that she never saw Jasmine in the bathroom because it would have just been more trauma to deal with. But um, police would respond quickly and discover a gruesome scene involving two bodies. The detectives also found, this is where the case gets real dark, is the detectives also discovered a, a handwritten letter from Gary to LaVita uh, that actually had blood on it on the bedroom, uh, on or on the bed, the master bed, in the bedroom. Um, and in uh, in the letter, he expressed his anger towards Levita for kicking him out and laid laid out his plan to murder the entire family. He said, "Quote: You asked to see the monster, so here it is. The monster you made me, bitch. There will be five lives taken today, me being the fifth. And police the, the police believe that she was Levita was sitting on the bed." reading this letter when he came in with young Jasmine tied up and she got to read the end of this letter saying her family was going to be killed by him and then see him walk in with her daughter tied up. And that's when the struggle ensued. Um, she had been, as we mentioned, been sitting on that, on the bed, reading the letter when he walked in with Jasmine. That's when the fight happened. Uh, she fought hard to protect herself and her children. She managed to get a knife from Gary, Gary's hand and stab him twice in the shoulder during the fight. She also may right. have gotten a broken or may have also gotten a toilet tank lid from the bathroom and hit him with that. There was a broken lid to the toilet found. It was like in three or four pieces on the bathroom floor. Yeah. Um, she fought hard, man. And mm -hmm. let me tell you why. Because her daughter this whole time is laying on the bed alive, yep. tied yep. up. Yep. That's fucked up, man. Yeah, you that know if you lose this battle, your daughter's that dead. Shit. She's watching that shit. Mm-hmm. Like the like that's that's torturing somebody, man. Yeah, hundred. Uh, that is absolute torturing somebody, especially after Levita lost, and now she has to see Gary come walk, you know, come over to her, knowing it, it's oh, now her God. time. Um, he uh, later in the interview with police said, "When she stabbed me, I backed up off her, um, but as it was, he had already stabbed her twenty three times and standing at three hundred sixty five pounds and six foot three. Uh, Levita obviously lost the battle, the knife fight with a man of that size, and she bled out on her on her bedroom floor. Um, as we mentioned, Jasmine had been tied up during the fight, and afterward he took her into the bathroom, which was covered in blood at this point, um, and he said, quote, I killed her in the bathtub. Uh, covered in blood then, he showered in the same bathroom where Jasmine lie, changed clothes, and went to pick up the boys from church, and that's where the next part of that story that we already covered had be just begun. Um, so he killed her in the bathtub and then took her out of the bathtub. Took a shower. Later beside the tub. Took a shower right and beside Fucking her. monster, right? Like, just the casual nature of this is just mind-blowing. Oh it's hard to even comprehend for a normal human. It really is. And so at around 2.15 2 a.m., we're fast-forwarding now past the whole events with the brothers um, after he left the house with the pills and whatnot, he was supposed to go kill himself. Um, at around 2.15 a.m., his mother, Gary's mother, and uh, his brother as well all went to the police substation to turn him in. Officer Troy Smith testified that Gary's mother told him that her son might have something or might have to be, might be involved in a murder. So they basically just walked up to the front desk at the police station, and this, this officer is like, doesn't even know what's going on. And, you know, Gary's mother tell, is telling this guy, this guy is involved in a murder. Um, after, mm -hmm. after Officer Smith confirmed that there had been a double homicide, he placed Gary under arrest. Gary then, after leaving the murder scene, had taken 20 to 30 pills in hopes that he would just go to sleep, and that's when his mother discovered him at a friend's house, all fucked up on these pills. Um, and mm -hmm. so after discovering that, Police Sergeant uh, Kevin Kirchhoff 
accompanied Green to Parkland Memorial Hospital where he was treated for the overdose. They basically had him chained to his bed in the hospital. And once he was done with that, he was going to be going to jail where he would await trial. Um, on the way, the sergeant testified, Green complained that he couldn't get the images of his wife and her child out of his head. Quote, I didn't really want to do anything to anybody, he said in his taped interview. Bullshit. It's bullshit, man. You don't go through with something that sadistic. No. With that, you had plenty of times to stop. Yep. Plenty of times to stop. Mm-hmm. And you've so done it chances. many times before. This isn't a one-off. You've been violent no. in the past. Um, yeah. And on November 30th, 2010, a jury would sentence Gary Green to death. And this is Texas we're talking about. They don't fuck around. No. You kill a kid in Texas, you're getting you, their death row is stacked with people. I was looking through the list of people that are currently sitting on death row in Texas. It's a long list. There's actually another Gary Green, if you can believe that, on death row in Texas right now. <laughs> There's two Gary Greens I believe that. <laughs> on death row yeah. in Texas. Uh, I believe that. Yeah. So he's currently on death row in Dallas County. Uh, during victim impact statements, people were visibly moved as a roughly 30-second video of Jasmine Montgomery, Green's stepdaughter, was played in, cor- in the courtroom. I'm sure that that sealed the deal for his fate once they played the video of that cute little six-year-old girl and knowing what he did to her. Um, Jarrett also took the stand, this is what I alluded to earlier, to address Gary directly. He said, quote, Hey, Gary, I love you, and I thought you weren't going to betray me like this. To me, you were my father, and I love you, but I'm not going to let you take over my life. So keep in mind, this was only like a year and a half after the incident. So uh, Jarrett was still really young. He was like 10 at this time when he addressed Gary in court. This this child, how do you – he must have felt like – if he has any humanity in him at all, Gary, sitting there listening to this 10-year-old boy say, still say he loves you. Mm-hmm. It's like everything he thought was wrong. You know what I mean? Like he could have just been a good man and been a good husband and been a father to Jarrett. And, but his, his, just, his paranoia and his ego just was too much. She wouldn't, yeah. have, she wouldn't have left him and wanted a, an annulment and all that if he could have just been cool and not been a fucking controlling douchebag. Right. If you can't control aspects of your of your life of your personality and you're not willing to make those changes for somebody then you really don't love him in the first place right i mean if this was the only option that he had he's either well i mean he is in my opinion he is severely mentally unstable yeah but also you don't really love anybody right you know and maybe maybe he did love jared i don't know um but i, I don't know man i just i just don't see how you can how you can sit there, like you said, and just hear these things that these, mm. these kids are saying. Yeah. Uh, so in court, a psychologist would testify that Green suffered from a mental illness that caused him to experiment, experience paranoid delusions. Gilbert Martinez told jurors that Green suffers from a schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type, and wrong, wrongly believes that people are trying to hurt him. Uh, Martinez clarified, however, that he was not saying that the illness made Green murder his wife and stepdaughter, so he was not taken away from the... The fact that he was well aware of what he was doing and what he was doing was wrong. Mm-hmm. JT, oh, such a great ending to the documentary. JT, who now writes songs and, and rap songs and stuff about this incident and about what Gary did and basically tearing Gary down. Um, he ended the documentary once again by tearing down Gary and said, quote, Gary once said, you asked me to see the monster, so here I am. I am your monster, Gary. I represent what frightens you most. I represent everything you fear. I have chosen to live, whereas you cho- you have chosen to die. That's how the documentary ends. Perfect ending. Um, JT holding on to his anger towards this man who didn't ruin his life. JT doesn't look at it that way. He still knows he has a you know a lot of life to live, and he's learned mm-hmm. a lot of things from this. But he's you know J his mother, Larita Larita was his best friend. JT Lavita, yeah, Lavita was, was his best yeah. friend. Yeah, and yeah, he'll never get that back, man. He'll never get her back, no, no doubt. And, and JT, he describes himself as a different kid, and he seemed like that. He's mm-hmm. like, I was, you know, I was always very quiet, didn't want to be the center of attention. He's like, anytime an adult asked me to do something, I did it. Mm-hmm. He was just one of those kids, man, that just got it. They were like almost like an old soul. Yeah, that's what JT struck me as. He was like an older soul. He was so, he was so mature in in so many ways, mm-hmm. and I think he still is now. You can kind of you can I mean you yeah. know what I mean he doesn't seem well, he like was, a, in the documentary he was 21 he did he seemed much older than 21 to me that was another point of contention and criticism that uh, people who viewed this documentary had I was reading through the comments and a lot of people were saying that it was wrong for the uh, 
for the peripheral adults in this situation, the other family members, the grandparents, whoever it may be, the even the police, you know, and the and the psych, child psychologist and stuff to tell JT that he had to be a rock for his brother um, because you know he was the older sibling and he had mm -hmm. to not cry and, and he had to show strength and whatnot. That was what he was told. And he talked about that. Like it was hard for him because that's what he was told after this incident is that he wasn't really allowed to cry, that he needed to be strong for his brother and stuff and right. act as a father figure to him. And so he never really got a chance to properly deal with this or grieve. Um, and and right. so I think he is kind of a hardened dude. You could tell like he, he was smiling through most of the, it was kind of odd. He was smiling through most of the documentary when recalling even parts of this, horrible parts of this. It's kind of odd. And it's like yeah. he's become like what we talked about with nine one one operators, nine one one operators a little bit, where he seems like he's jaded a little bit by all the stuff I, he's dealt with and seen. Well, maybe a little bit of that, but I also think that this going through this and surviving this has given him the confidence uh, to move on through his life. He's like, well, what you know, what right. can hold me back now? Mm -hmm. I mean, Been somebody tried to kill me when I was twelve and killed my and mom and my sister. Right. Yeah, I mean, he just, it's like, what more, like, I'm ready. Like, yeah. bring that shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? At this point, there's two ways you can look at it, and I think he's he's picked the right way. I know at that time, telling him to be the rock and tell, uh, that kind of stuff probably wasn't good, but I think in the long run, it's helped him get over this. It's helped yeah. him realize that that's not the end of his story. He's not a 12-year-old victim little boy for the rest of his life. He's He's a man now, and he can do what he wants, and... You know he's he's stronger for have living through it, you know, and he and he also wants to carry on the memory of his mother, right? At the same time, you know, how, what how would she feel if he's just sulking through life and woe is me and and never doing anything, whatever, you know? That's not, that's not, yeah. You know what I mean? That's not honoring her memory. Yeah. Speaking of which, you just reminded me um, about his mom watching down on him and whatnot. At one point, when uh, the, the the child psychologist was interviewing both JT and Jarrett, like just the day after this incident to try and figure out exactly what they saw, what they knew. Uh, uh, at one point, the, the child psychologist asked Jarrett like uh, about the in incident in the kitchen with the knives and whatnot. And she asked like, well, what happened with the second knife when he grabbed that? And Jarrett said, uh, "The uh, God broke the knife for me so I could live. That part coming from a nine-year-old mm. boy, the audio of that is just like, oh, it'll get you. It'll You're bring like, you to tears. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's crazy. Is he 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 was truly believed that. And and man, it's hard to deny it. It's like, dang, that was pretty crazy that a grown man had two knives to a 9-year-old boy and isolated in the kitchen and and really didn't do any serious damage at that in that moment. I know. That's that is hard to believe. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's, it happened though. Yeah. It happened regardless of what you believe, them boys were supposed to live, you know. I think they were. Yeah. All right, that does it right, for this man. week's case. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, let's let's uh, talk about some. Oh my Gaia! Why my armpits smell oh my delicious? <laughs> oh my Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, not only that, there's tons of scents to choose from. You'll definitely find something that uh, tickles your fancy. And a lot of these scents can even be uh, unisex. I, th I think anybody could wear a lot of these. Uh, but there's vanilla, cherry almond, uh, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. Uh, and we have our very own scent, True Crime Pine. I've been rocking True Crime um, Pine this whole week. Love it. Have you? Yeah, it's so wow. good. Nice way to prepare for the show. I got, <laughs> I had some too, uh, but my son has actually stole it. He he loves True Crime Pine. He's only ten. He really doesn't need deodorant. Hell but, yeah. You know, it's all natural, so it doesn't hurt him. You know, what the hell? Ten year olds can he stink, wants, man. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, he stinks, but it ain't because of sweat. Last <laughs> time he took a shower. But uh, <laughs> but you guys can get fifteen percent off your order at Oh My Gaia by using the code word Creeper C R E E P E R for fifteen percent off. That's at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Guys, give it a shot. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Give yeah. up the speed stick. Yeah, you got a, you got a long beard because you haven't had to shave because you haven't been working due to COVID. Get the That's beard right. oil. It's fantastic. 
Yeah, oil that thing up, embrace it for a little while, see how yeah, it goes. Exactly. Uh, I want to get to like some uh, people who have gone and rated and reviewed the show since last week. Thank you guys very much for taking the time. Someone, uh, I want to say, what's up to BMT1996, who's been listening for about three years. You just now rated and reviewed what's going on. Man. <laughs> uh, no, thank you for doing it. At any given time, doing it's still... Any given time. Yeah, time is valuable. We understand. So if you even take a minute or two to just go to this, we'd really do appreciate it. Uh, yeah. As well as Anella2 said, great listen, five stars, amazing podcast. I'm getting some serious Thank buzz you. on my microphone right now. What the fuck? There it oh, goes. No. There it goes. Okay. Okay. Hopefully you could hear that, uh, Anella too. Uh, tw- Anella. Imagine you finally get your shout out after like three years of listening and it's buzzing during your shout out. It buzzes right out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God damn it. It's all I wanted. Damn it. Uh, I want to say what's up to 26 Red. Uh, five stars. Love these creepers. Thank you. Uh, Cokeness. Nice. Hopefully you just love Coca-Cola. <laughs> Instead of that, uh, yeah. the other option. Love you guys. Right. Five stars. Uh, KVB22, five stars, said, awesome podcast. Told my friends about you guys. That's what's up. That's what we really need you guys to do. Tell all your friends. Yes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Word of mouth best way still to spread things, yeah. even with social media and everything. I just feel like it's so diluted. It's I still take a suggestion from a friend or family member at much higher regard than I do Instagram advertisements, you know? Right. Or posts. More buzz on the mic. Uh, I want to skip over the one-star review from Dojo3 that said, way too much off-topic talk. People love that shit. So if you love the off-topic yeah, talk, uh, go rate five stars like in hordes so that it can cover up these fools that don't like it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> and then Amy K 85 five stars, best true crime podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank all of you. Um, I believe you, everybody this week was from the U.S. Let me make sure there's nobody from another country to shout. Yeah, all U.S. this week. You guys from the other countries okay. need to catch up. What's going on? Yeah, where are you at from across the pond? Right. In the great or, white north of Canada. Canada. Where yeah. are you guys at? Or Australia, Jeez. down under, mate. Yeah, down under. Those are the only ones I check. Most of the those are our, where our reviews come from, typically, and we appreciate that very much. Yeah. Also want to give another uh, thank you to Kimberly for this case suggestion. Absolutely. This was a great, great case. Job. We really appreciate it. Guys, yeah, you can still send us suggestions on social media or at True Crime Guys on uh, Instagram, at True Crime Guys on Twitter, uh, Facebook. You guys can find us anywhere or truecrimeguys.com or truecrimeguys at gmail.com. Yeah, and okay. if we don't do not, your, not if you send us a bunch of suggestions and we've never done it, don't take, in a pers- don't take it personal. It doesn't necessarily mean we're not still going to do it at some point. It's just in right. that moment when we see that, you know, we, we maybe, it's not, we just did a case just like that or you you never know the factors that might go into it and we might be like ooh yeah we'll hold on to that one or whatever right. so um just don't get butt hurt if if uh we don't do the one you suggest we still appreciate you guys taking the time to send us suggestions and stuff and we don't really have a rhyme or reason to the ones we can't we're just like that one sounds good to do this week so let's do that one and it's kind of we're not the level of professional that some other podcasts are where they know the case they're going to do months in advance and they have the whole next year booked up and all that stuff. We kind of just, we do what feels right that week, you know, right due to the circumstances. That's, exactly that's right. kind of what Sometimes makes the show it, fun though. We have to keep it yeah. interesting for us. So that's right. Can't seem you like never a job too much. Right. And we typically circle back around too, because mm-hmm. so, there are times you hit a wall and you're just like, even, even through watching documentaries or YouTube vortexes or whatever we're doing to find cases, uh, sometimes you still don't find anything that that uh, you know tickles your fancy. So you go back through and you look at all these. Yeah, reviews, sometimes we'll go back and look and know? we'll find so, uh, some suggestions someone sent a year ago. And we're like, ooh, that's good. <laughs> Why didn't yeah, we think it was exactly. good a year ago? All of a sudden, now we want to do it. So you never exactly. Know. Yeah. So we thank you guys so much for listening. And if uh, if you're all caught up on true crime, guys, you can check out Strange and Unexplained. Uh, that's our other show where we focus on unsolved. Uh, strange missing person cases and those episodes are released every Monday we just released one on Steve Sandlin a police officer in uh, New Mexico who was shot at his desk um, and by his own weapon and at first it looks like suicide but you look a little deeper and you're like there's no way this was suicide so it gets a little strange from there. Obviously. Yeah, the chief, you know? the chief of that town was sketchy. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh man, yeah, he was a little sketch, <laughs> a so, little sketch. Yeah, great but, stuff. Uh, strange Check and unexplained, guys. Yeah, you can subscribe anywhere you listen: Stitcher, Spotify, just like True Crime Guys. Search True Crime Guys if you can't find it. Um, but yeah, anywhere you listen. Also on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash True Crime Guys. Uh, for two bucks a month, you guys can get our exclusive content, our one episode a month for True Crime Guys. 
And then also for uh, Strange and Unexplained, that's patreon.com slash S&U. You can get early releases there. They're released on Thursdays instead of Monday. And then you can also get uh, extra shows as well, like the Palette Cleanser podcast. And sometimes I put up videos behind the scenes, uh, things like that. Yeah, so, if you love also, us, if you love us, and stickers. you and you're not a patron of either show, then there's just just know there's so much more content. What is it on our Patreon for True Crime guys? There's what like a ninety or a hundred other audio recordings, either, whether it's yes. episodes or bonus content. We've we've talked to listeners, uh, we've talked to mm-hmm. other podcasters, like we talked to Esther from Once Once Upon a Crime. Yes. Uh, we've we've talked to a bunch of people, so and done a bunch of episodes on there and there's silly like pictures and just all kinds of random stuff like like i said i did a true crime top 10 true crime documentary review and all that stuff so so much more to be had for two bucks a month gets you access to all that and then with snu three bucks a month gets you a bunch of content content for that show as well so yeah you can spare a few bucks a month here on snu now there's a five dollar tier on snu where you can get a sticker hell yeah Uh, i posted it on the uh strange and unexplained uh instagram you can follow at S and U podcast on all social media um, to keep stay updated on there. But I try to I try to advertise on True Crime Guys as well. So if you're a follower there, you guys can stay updated on. Yep, at True Crime Guys on everything. At S and U yep. podcast, right for everything. Or is it yep. strange? Okay, that's it. All right, all right, guys. Was well, uh, next week another freeloader episode, or we got a Patreon? I don't know. I think we got one more freeloader. All right, all right, freeloaders, rejoice. See you next week. Rejoice. (laughs) Keep creeping, guys. Keep creeping. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.